Hey everyone, Raghu back with Mind Rolling and an old friend, Ralph Adela Rosa. Ralph is my Buddhist therapist, one of them. I have a few of them, and they're all extraordinarily helpful. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Ralph. Thank you so much. It is truly a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, great. Um, yeah. Well, we're all going through quite a bit these days, ain't we? We and, sure are. And uh, knowing because we've been talking off and on for several weeks, actually, trying to arrange all this, uh, you have been going through some extra suffering, <laughs> I would say. Right? <laughs> you are not immune at all and probably having to put into practice uh, much of what um, you teach people. You could definitely say that. Uh, there's been some personal crises, multiple within all of this non-coronavirus related. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a time both in the world and in our society and personally that I am deeply grateful for having uh, some years of practice uh, mm. integrated into my life because it's come into play uh, in such an unprecedented way. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, you, you don't need the extra, really. I mean, you know, I know, you know, people like my contemporaries from being in India, where you see this background back in the day. Yeah. And yeah, we're all, you know, without any, there's like, you have some direct cause and conditions going on aside from the virus. And but you don't need those extra causes and conditions. And I, you know, we're like you wake up in the morning and you're not sure why you feel this unease, right? right? And right. it's a pervasive, very pervasive thing. Um, and I, I quote, uh, I have been quoting lately. Uh, the Chinese have a a, a really great great. Um, characterization of these times and for them you know they characterize times of great chaos as dangerous opportunity right yeah. dangerous opportunity and is it not that no risk no reward that is yeah. that is true and just to, just to demystify things maybe for the listener okay yeah that'd be good too abstractly, I, I had a situation erupt in my apartment with a, an aggressive uh, a neighbor, and I found myself um, uh, sharing a two-story duplex with somebody who was making active threats and acting in an intimidating manner uh, towards me. Um, this happened right at the onset of That's right. I came home from a snowboarding trip. And this gentleman uh, had moved in and uh, it was just right when Corona got really serious and it was like the two, you know, just, just uh, intertwined. But I'll just say, um, you know, as you know, the path is one of alchemy, right? How do we turn these uh, uh, difficult situations, to put it in a nice way, uh, into gold for ourselves. And so I'm actually joining you from Lake Tahoe, California, where my, um, yeah, my need to, to leave my apartment suddenly, uh, which was in Beacon, New York, uh, turned into, you know what, let's, let's go to my home state of California, be a little closer to my family, be with the trees, be with the mountains, and, you know, and ride this thing out. 
year, maybe for the next year or so. And um, so really, um, the journey with this gentleman, who I hugged goodbye, by the way. Really? Oh, <laughs> tell me that. Oh, wow. <laughs> our relationship. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I figured, you know, let's make a really empowered choice rather than a reactive choice in terms of where I ended up and all of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. That's... That's great to hear, actually. Wonderful to hear. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, Mel. I do offer that not so much to um, brag about my good fortune in the midst of all of this, to be able to have that sort of mobility. You know, it's certainly very, very privileged. Um, but but more because there's it's an analog, right, for, for so much of what we are going through personally speaking society is a little bit different politically is a little bit different but but personally you know with people feeling trapped with people feeling um like their options have never been more narrow with uh, all the anxiety and the worry and the fear that's out there and what have you you know that's it's it's the bullet points are the same for all of us that that yeah dangerous opportunity like you said yeah yeah absolutely so one of the things, and, and it isn't really um, brought on particularly by this uh, pandemic, uh, but it's something that uh, I find in, in my own uh, milieu generational that you get into spiritual practice mm-hmm. and that over the years it will absolutely take care of all of the issues that come up, including, uh, you know, the emotional issues, the psychological issues, and, and all of it. And I guess in, in more recently, in, in recent years, and, and also partially because uh, of my closeness to Ramdas, uh, right. him, him being, you know, very much coming out of that world, the world of uh, therapy and psychology, I have come to fa- find that it is uh, extraordinarily important to do the kind of work that seems quite easy to bypass through pr- different practices mm-hmm. for many, many people. And I've seen it in myself. And then it got to the point where, you know, some striking things were going on in my life. And I uh, I just knew that the... Uh, the, the practicalities of delving into uh, my own psychology, whereas I've been going below somehow, if you want to call it below or above or somewhere, but there was a way in which um, there was a non-acceptance of uh, mm-hmm. the reality of being able to work with emotions uh, rather than go around them. Or, um, I mean, my... When I was first in India with Neem Karoli Baba, uh, I mean, I just, I got a built-in story going about, I am a sadhu, yogi, I don't need the world, you know? And uh, because of the circumstances, they felt very much like that. And then throughout my life, that story, which I started to believe less and less as time went on, uh, it, it formed a basis for a kind of escapist uh, thought pattern, right? Oh, yeah. 
I can always do that. Screw this. I can just go off and be in these mountains right here behind me and no problem. And so I, that's why I'm, you know, uh, I, we, Ralph and I had a conversation must be a year ago or so a year and a half ago. I'm not sure. Um, and, uh, I, I have had other conversations with uh, other different friends who are, uh, practitioners that are all of, of in, in particular Buddhism, that seems to be the fit, so to speak. I haven't seen any Hindu people that are <laughs> working through through this kind of stuff, which is interesting. It's a whole other podcast. Uh, and using uh, Buddhist psychology and Western psychology as practices to help us really identify and dig deep into what it is that, uh, where it is that we are caught. And, um, you know, so um, uh, let's talk about emotions. And, uh, you know, there's something that you wrote or said at one point, which I made note of. Um, and it's, you know, uh, it's probably during, maybe it's not that long ago, um, that in the midst of anxiety and panic and the nervousness and uncertainty, that the reminder that you had that we are not bound to how we feel in any given moment. You do not have to shut down or shove aside your emotions in order to quell them. And you quote, uh, say, actually, that's an act. That's a, a, a an act of self-violence. And that that rang really true. Talk about that a little bit, you know? I mean, it's, it's a dramatic statement, yet I think a very true statement. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it sounds dramatic at face value, but it is a subtle form of aggression that we enact anytime that we're not in full acceptance of who and what we are in, you know, as the ever-changing tides of things. Um, it actually takes a tremendous amount of work, too to shut down our anger or to medicate her anxiety or to pretend, you know, some terrible habit isn't there. Um, it's, it's a tremendous amount of work. And what we're doing in that, those moments is we're walling off parts of ourselves, right? As if they are no good, as if they have no function in our lives, as if they serve no purpose, you know? And the truth is that, um, you know, I don't, I don't mean to sound glib, but, but I'm speaking from experience as a trauma survivor, as an addiction survivor, as a, somebody who was once diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, um, that the, the pain and the fear and the, the troubles in our lives actually can, when we know how to work with them, like you were talking about, when we've ingrained some really good spiritual or, or good psychological habits around how we relate to those emotions, it can serve as the biggest inspiration, actually. You know, I launched an online course last night on working with uh, trauma and working with difficult emotions. And I was awestruck because the registration was doubled. It was the fourth or fifth time I've offered this course, and the registration was doubled. Well, no shit. <laughs> it's like, well, that speaks to the need being greater than yeah, yeah. But also, here we are. Twice the number of people are 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 driven to ask deeper questions, to look at their lives in a new way, 
to take a risk and hang out in a six week course with some Yahoo that they, you know, know from Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, we don't, you know, this, and we don't ask the real questions when we're cozy. We think we've got it. (laughs) And, um, I mean, I did that same dance with bhakti yoga myself too for a long time. Like, let me just put on the white and wear the beads and the tilak on the forehead and, you know, and I'll go by my Sanskrit name. And as long as I can just, you know, chant to, to outrun this other version of me, then I'm good. But the problem was is that the other version of me kept catching up to me, mm. you know, but sooner or later. Now, sooner or later, we've got to turn around and face what's what's in us, and that's not bad news. That can that's the beginning of a transformative journey. Hmm. Yeah, and the idea of accepting the fact that these things that do come up—you know, anger and depression and worry and all the uncertainty, everything that's going on—painful uh, relationships—is uh, is a biggie too. Uh, and um, yeah, to to look at these phenomenon not as enemies, but as uh, wonderful, the universe is speaking to us in a way that's going to allow us to transform. Without that spoken to-ness, how are we even going to be realize any of this? Which is, you know, goes back to if we talk about the the purpose of of coming into a body and a life and what that purpose is if we take the big picture wow yeah this is you know this is uh i mean and this is something that uh we brought back from india and ramdas popularized the notion suffering brings me closer to god Mm -hmm. so uh, and he it's a weird thing, of course. I mean, the kind of suffering that he had after this massive stroke, he yeah. could say that shit. Where, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, he really, really lived it uh, right up to the last uh, moments uh, of his passing. So, uh, yeah, that, and you do talk a lot about that. Um, message, as you put it, messenger sounding an alarm, calling our attention to what longs to be healed at our depths. I think that's so super important. And um, yet, I I talk a lot about uh, the way that we are glued and stuck to our thoughts and belief systems. And, uh, you know, I notice this is something um, that is very, very central to what you, um, how you work with people, basically. And that's uh, unstuck. Right. How do we get unstuck? And um, yeah, talk about that. I mean, the uh, not just the the philosophical thing, but the reality of what are we doing? What to do to get unstuck? I mean, yeah. you know, the, this real life. I mean, you just went through this very, very difficult thing where you're you're getting this tremendous animosity thrown at you and it's probably triggered all sorts of different emotional things so what where how did you you know work with that yeah i mean and i'm a bullying survivor too i mean i was bullied basically to the point of acute ptsd and agoraphobia and i dropped out of high school because i was afraid to go outside anymore when i was 16 and so this this uh this situation 
in my home that erupted was just bringing up the residue of all of that and 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 of all of that stuff that I thought I had healed too but it was it was bringing it up in a in a new way because you know the impulse to react to fight back to give in and to engage was so pervasive um the whole time every day for weeks I wanted to go off on this guy and I managed to not once and mm. this is speaking as a recovering rageaholic mm. Um, mm. but I mean, that was a tremendous victory but I, I like, by the way, just uh, sorry to interrupt, but I love that what you just said is so in line with my own experience. I thought I was done with that. <laughs> I thought I was done with that. I mean, that, that happened to me just not that long ago around something I thought I did not have any relationship with it anymore. Uh, maybe I'll just share it with you just uh, for, for fun, but... I um, I think you uh, you I believe you know who Krishna Das is, yeah. So uh, anyhow, we would go to India together at different times over many many years, and and we would go uh, and there was a uh, a woman saint who was with Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba for many many years, and we used to see her all the time, and and it was just wonderful to be in that kind of a space with a being like that. It was like okay, we can go do that instead of plugging into uh, go to IMS and uh, do Vipassana meditation for two weeks and come out the other end, fine. But in this case, it was because we're lazy. We're lazy uh, bhaktis, right? We don't have what you all Buddhists have. You have that drive to hang in there. And we're going to talk about meditation later. But yeah, anyhow, so, you know, he and I, you know, we have a very close relationship and had for many years and we walked in to sit with her and he was sitting on one side and I was sitting on the other and she just turned to him and gave complete attention to him me babkas as they say in Yiddish nothing okay and I in my head I went you know I felt this welling up of jealousy which to me, that's not been a big part of, of, of the uh, destructive emotions that I've had in my life. But there it was. And I had it. Be and I had had it. Uh, and uh, as soon as I had that thought, she just turned to me and went, Ragu. <laughs> and I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> How could this happen again? How? I, yeah. You mean that's still going on? You know, that kind of a thing. In this case, of course, it was very advantageous to have somebody around who absolutely knew what was going on and point it out, you know, get that pointer right in the moment. But, yeah, that that's a biggie, you know, because I find that when, when that happens, the fall down, it, it's, it seems like a steeper, slippery, slippery, slippery slope, right? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. I mean, we all have that longing for love that comes out around teachers and, and different mm. uh, bigwigs in our lives, right? And that's what I, that's some of what I hear in that story that perhaps that was an operation. I know it's an operation for me a lot. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, exactly. So un unstuck. So How are we going to get unstuck from this shit? Technical for a moment here, right? Yeah. Because, because, yeah. Like I, I said, I think I was in, a, in my newsletter, you know, that we are not bound by the difficult emotions that arise, that that's not the end of the story, because it's, all, it's true that it's always how we're feeling and then how we're feeling about how we're feeling, right? Like uh, uh, 
I mean, classic Buddhist thing to say is what is your relationship to your experience, right? Like it, don't like it, hate it, bored of it, uh, sick of it, don't care, um, frustrated that it's coming up yet again, um, right? And I've been working for a, a, a few years now with this process called parts work that is absolutely, it's almost magical in a way. It's very, very surprising how some of the uh, rudimentary techniques um, operate. And this is an evidence-based uh, uh, form of, of psychotherapy that has a lot of resonance with uh, Buddhism and teachings on Buddhist, Buddhist nature and, uh, and spiritual practice, very meditative. It's uh, called parts work? Right? Uh, yeah, it comes from something called internal family systems therapy. Uh-huh. And the idea is, is let's say, all right, so here's me, right? Um, and for those who are just listening, I'm holding up one hand, right? And then this other hand is like an angry part of me, right? That something happens to me over here and this hand just, you know, collides with this hand and takes over. Okay, now we're angry, right? And in neuroscience, they would call that cognitive fusion, right? Whatever I, is going on in my mind, I think I'm that, basically, mm. right? And so this is what they would call an IFS um, or internal family systems uh, being blended right? or more colloquially being stuck. I'm stuck in my anger. It's this visitor who barged in and <laughs> even if I ask nicely, it ain't going to go nowhere. Right. But what we can do is we can breathe with that emotion. We can begin listening uh, to that emotion. What is it saying? What are the thoughts that are, are, are springing up? We can start shifting from an inner monologue at that point to an inner dialogue. Okay, what do I say back to that part of me that has this long litany of complaints? Um, And we can uh, learn how to unblend, right? To put a little bit of space between us and how we're feeling in any given moment Uh, through, through awareness, through paying attention, through maybe even asking inside. And here's the really cool part. You can just ask inside, you know, if, hey, angry part of me, will you give me permission to get a little space from you to separate out so that we're not so bound up and we can work on this problem we're having together? And entering that sort of dialogue, talking to your emotional parts as if they're other people, um, it sounds, it's just deceptively simple because, because some things start to happen. And I see this within myself doing this process, I see it in my students, I see it uh, in therapy sessions every day, that, that you know, it might take a little while, might take a few minutes, but suddenly, oh, there's a little bit of space. And then the next question is, is generally, well, how do you feel towards that angry part of you or that sad part of you? And, well, I hate it, I want it to go away. Okay, well, can you ask that part of you that's hating it now to relax and step aside? And what typically happens is, is, again, it'll take a few moments, but, but, you know, there'll be a shift in a person. And then we'll just kind of peel back the layers until we get to the most important ingredient in the process, which is curiosity and compassion. Right? Mm-hmm. If we can get to curiosity and compassion about how we're feeling or the negative belief that's like, you know, front and center, in our worldview uh, in any given moment, um, that starts to open up doorways, like big, big doorways where we can then explore where, where did this anger come from? 
what's the first time I can remember feeling this way? Does this, does the voice that, that this anger have resemble somebody? Maybe somebody in my family where I took on this, this, uh, pattern. And we can begin, um, I, that, that's really a setup. That's a particular alignment for healing, right? Um, starting to hear the story within around where our sadness or loneliness or anxiety comes from. Uh, we can start asking, you know, what those parts of us need as well in order to relax, in order to move on. Um, and that might all sound convoluted, but it's actually uh, more simple than it sounds. And sometimes it's just a matter of uh, stepping into a facilitated process with somebody. But um, this is all uh, my books are about. Um, and, and there's lots of meditations on Insight Timer and my SoundCloud page and lots of stuff that people are curious about stepping into that process. But it's, it's the, the basic point is it's never just the sadness or the negative emotion. You know, it's the sadness plus how we feel about it. And if we can bring compassion to the situation, um, then, then things start to move along. Things, our emotions can return from that like icy, frozen, claustrophobic state and move more towards the river that they're meant to be, right? We might not instantly feel better, but at least that emotional energy is no longer caught and, and we're, we're moving. And I, I find that this process, uh, which I sometimes say uh, uh, taught me more about Buddhism than Buddhism did. Um, taught me more about resilience and compassion and and uh, and uh, our, our deeper nature um, than a lot of meditation practices. Then, um, though comparisons are really useless, um, really insightful. It puts us in a position where we start to learn things. We start to get light bulb moments and ahas and revelations and uh, connecting dots and. Um, that that we wouldn't get otherwise, you know, to really just listen to what your anger has to say, your sadness has to say, what the worry about the world has to say, um, can be quite revealing, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a whole lot of technique I just threw at you. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you know, I want to add to to that. Uh, uh, you know, I. This is my ad, not yours, although, because uh, there was another thing that you did talk about, which I'm quite aware of as well, where it's been scientifically shown, you say, to increase uh, the emotions in the realm of generosity and love, shown to increase immune system functioning most positively to the point of enhancing the efficacy of uh, of the influenza vaccine in one study that's kind of interesting given given what's going on now but you know so true um, and and you just talked about compassion and we have to talk about starting compassion with oneself and it's my problem sometimes with non-dual or let's talk about buddhist uh, philosophy, because that's where, where where we're at right now in terms of the packaging, um, is that there's a way in which a sidestep can happen, especially with talking about compassion, because it's a concept. Okay, mm -hmm. you you you're going to turn in on yourself, 
some kind of good feeling and okayness, right? Now, you, you uh, we were talking about bypass a little bit ago and talking about, and you know, you had done some uh, bhakti yoga practice uh, and chanting and you can chant from here to forever and, you know, that kind of thing. I posit because it, it's the one thing that I can be sure of that if I engage in, because chanting is one of the major things that we brought back, you know, e e emblemized by what Krishnadas out, uh, does out there in Jai, Utah. And um, there's a way in which what it does for me is it, it bypasses the self-talk thing, uh -huh. the stuckness to my story or thoughts or judgments all of that it it just completely goes uh, you know and i say that has at the same as time as i say that i also say what i said earlier one needs to approach all of those emotions in a way that reveals them and in a way that we are it speaks to us to enable us to realize yeah right yeah. but going in through the heart directly around, uh, especially around compassion and love, obviously, and uh, developing that uh, muscle, shall we say, where through the practice of it, mm -hmm. you really start to experience, ah, okay, I'm human. It's, it's what Jack Cornfield always argues. We're human. It's okay, you know. And we start to start there in terms of really um, coming from what Ramdas called before the end of his life, it was his major teaching, loving awareness. To center yourself in that perspective, yeah. that just absolutely cuts out all of the self-talk, the judge, self-judgmental stuff, all of it. So you actually can experience the um, rendering of compassion and love in just through the molecular structure of your being and yes. yeah so i just i just had to throw that in you know around uh, compassion because and and of course you know this stuff i mean meta loving kindness and and what sharon salzberg is so well known for and and has been my teacher in that yeah. realm is is what we're talking about it's just getting at it uh, in a little bit of different way. And for me, of course, chanting, because music has been a big part of my life, so it's easy for me. For other people, the the just down-to-earth metta practice is perfectly uh, in line and in the same realm uh, of getting to a point where there isn't a judgment, there isn't a, um, that second voice going well this is this is good for me or i should do this and so on so anyhow just throwing that in there around compassion especially i mean we're talking about just two different inner technologies that lead yeah. to being of the heart and it gives us a direct experience that of that deeper human uh nature that lives within us all right yeah yeah, yeah. No, absolutely i'll just um, say that I mean, I work with a lot of trauma survivors, and um, those are kind of my people. And um, I, I, I know when somebody holds a lot of trauma in their body, you know, they might chant japa and really resonate with that practice. But 
like that undercutting might be a little more difficult for them. They might be, you know, bombarded by intrusive thoughts or intrusive sadness or, or what have you in the middle of their, you know, uh, practice. And um, so basically to, to tie this together is then in that context, if one is in touch with that deeper nature in some way, if one has that loving awareness, can that upset part of you share in that? And in that way, you know, your, your, your difficulty becomes your offering. Yeah. Comes, yep. you know, part of an inner puja, if yeah. you will. Yes. Well said. Well said. And here's, here's something else, everybody. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, little quote from, from Ralph. Believe it or not, reactive emotions are, are our goodness cloaked in what appears to be neurosis. Okay. This is an mm. important statement, Ralph, and, and you know, I want you to, to open it up a little bit because we are primed to believe that our reactive emotions are, uh, are a destructive force that we must get rid of immediately. You know. Oh, yeah. Can I tell you a story? Yeah, please. I love story. Yesterday morning, I went out for uh, my morning run. And I didn't get even uh, three minutes into it before a gentleman pulls up in the truck and he holds out his phone. And on his phone is a picture of a bear. And he goes, this bear is right there. <laughs> and there's, you know, residential neighborhood. There's a beautiful, very cute uh, golden bear rummaging through trash and, and uh, just 50 feet away from me. I'd never been so close to, you know, this magnificent and terrifying creature. Right. And, um, and, you know, of course, I was shocked and then scared and then, you know, had the thought, like, is this thing, you know, it could easily just charge for me right now, you know? And there was actually quite a few people around. And, uh, and, and so I got out of there. You know, I stayed and I watched the bear. I took a little video from my phone. Uh, on my phone for for just a moment, and then I was like, "Well, let's let's get out of here," you know. And um, it blew me away, though, that that I knew that there were bears in the mountains around here. But but mm -hmm. you know, just yeah, hanging not out right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. But if we if we think about the bear for a moment, right, at face value, uh, uh, menacing, dangerous, life threatening, you know, these things are true. Um, that's face value. But if we think about the bear for a moment, if we look at things through the bear, the bear's uh, eyes, through the bear's vantage point, the bear, you know, all organisms are motivated by basically the same things, which neurologically speaking, uh, we know that, that our primary three drives are safety, gratification, and belonging, you know, to, to, to love and be loved and to have our basic needs met and for life to feel like good in some way or at least that there's growth in some way. And without those, um, that's when, when, when things start to uh, get a little afflictive. But that bear was just looking for food. He wasn't, in, he wasn't trying to be a menace. He wasn't terrorizing the neighborhood. Right. He was just trying to find his next meal. He was just trying to survive. You know? And if that bear would, were to have charged him, it wouldn't have been because he's an aggressive creature who has this terrible nature about him or her, as the case may be. Um, 
it would be because that bear was feeling encroached upon and threatened and unsafe in some way and has a biological imperative to fulfill that basic need for, for safety that is irresistible in, in all of that. And so I, it, it really, just this experience connected some dots in, in terms of how we think about the, the bears in our lives, the metaphoric bears that go on in our minds and our hearts. Right, if at face value, menacing, terrible, difficult, uncomfortable, claustrophobic, uh, creating all kinds of patterns in our lives that repeat themselves all over, uh, over and over again. But the truth, the 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 truth at the biological level, we could go to the spiritual level, but we could even just look at the body. The body is driven by intelligent impulses, and all of those difficult emotions, much like the bear are driven by those same fundamental needs for safety, gratification, and belonging. That's at, their, at, the, at the root, at the, the level of you know, the basic spark, the basic impulse. What, what, what gets tricky about our, our emotions is that um, they're filtered through all of our conditioning, our familial, societal, you know, all the experiences we had that told us what it meant to be a person, what it meant to be in a relationship, what it meant to exist in a society. And so things at the level of expression of those emotions can get twisted up. But we are an ecosystem unto ourselves, and everything in an ecosystem serves some kind of purpose in service of the whole. You know, our anger might be a big, big problem in our lives, but anger is always a response to feeling hurt or betrayed in some way. And so anger, you know, serves the function of letting us know our boundaries have been crossed letting us know maybe that there's a deeper wound that is needing to be addressed underneath, you know, and with regards to the deeper wounds as well, I cannot tell you how much my life has been enriched by inner child work, by really just going there to the, the dark and deep places, often in silent retreat, but often, you know, just in, in therapy with my therapist, um, there is something really powerful about learning how to love those parts of you that feel unlovable, that feel like they're garbage, that feel like we're never going to get it together, or that everybody I love leaves, you know, this immense sense of abandonment that so many of us walk around with. Learning how to be with yourself in those places, again, to get to that place of self-compassion is I love how you said, you know, I'm uh, staying with our emotions until they reveal themselves because they're not what they, you know, uh, like David Lynch said in Twin Peaks, right? The owls are not what they seem. <laughs> as the Buddha said, you know, things are not as they seem, nor are they otherwise. Right? So like that sadness is sadness, right? Uh, but, but it's not as it seems at the exact same time. There's a deeper layer. And, and all of these emotions that we have, they're intense because that gets our attention. I mean, would they get our attention any other way <laughs> if they weren't so awful at times, right? Or painful or, or, or um, uh, you get it. So in this way, um, everything that, that, that goes on within us actually has a, a purpose in our lives. And we unlock that purpose when we know how to relate to it. Mm -hmm. And when we start to see that, 
um, it, be, it becomes laid bare that that our that Buddha nature, that true self, or the capital S, that inherent love uh, that we know ourselves to be, maybe even just conceptually, uh, uh, at the deepest layer, it becomes apparent that that actually our sadness, our anger, whatever difficulty exists in our lives, is still an expression of that. It's just things have gotten very convoluted and complex. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it all falls in line with uh, what we were, how we got started with this conversation. That to to switch the perspective mm. that we're seeing everything, mm-hmm. and 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 going, wow, this is this is great. This is good fodder. This uh, Ramdas calls grist for the mill. He wrote a whole book about it. This is this is wonderful, you know, and and as you say, you know, and as you have said, uh, the way we relate to ourselves is probably the most important aspect of our work in this life to become free of uh, the of of the kalesas, right? Of all of those massive overlays of. disgruntled judgment to uh, to to um, feeling like Jesus we're just awful awful people you know this this whole conceptual morass that we we get into which is why I am loving talking about just turn that around you know turn it around you have a great quote from uh, Pema Chodron who we all love so much War and peace begin in the human heart. Whether that heart opens or closes has global implications. That statement is even more powerful given what we're going through on all levels, from the pandemic to the, to the social inequity to, to the political situation and, and the vast polarization that, that is, is taking place in this country. So, um, yeah, just s- switching that, it's a little flip. It's, it can be, I think it's just a little flip of going, okay, right, okay, I'm going to now create spaciousness by virtue of I am willing to allow these emotions to exist and I'm going to have a cup of tea with them, right? And I'm going yeah. to say, stick around. Let's talk for a minute, which goes, you know, fully into your uh, parts therapy, right? Let's talk about this, right? And uh, so uh, I think this is invaluable, especially for all of us that are going through so much, so much these days. Uh, I, I want to turn here before, you know, it's too late to talk, because uh, I also love... Uh, Ralph, how you talk about uh, meditation in particular, because that's something quite important in terms of, yes, uh, get with somebody that you can share who has some wisdom that you can share uh, these deeper parts of yourself all the way back into childhood trauma. You know, of course, do all of that. Work on self-compassion, self-love. But there, there has to be a way, of course, 
to mm. actualize some of this stuff and and certainly meditation and and I put chant in there you know it's no more or less than meditation you know you're 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 repeating something you know you you got to let go uh, you know let go let go let go you know so but um I think this was interesting you talk about the Tibetan word for mindfulness based meditation is gom g o m and uh, translate, you say, into familiarization or habituation, and and uh, you know I'm I'm quite aware of that that uh, as well. Um, and it's again an arena for becoming intimate with the uh, heart mind, right? And um, and then you put a little bit of a different twist. Why don't you explain that? You talked about uh, from familiarization to habituation. Give us that twist because I think it's really great. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 similar to the therapeutic uh, stance and, and process that I uh, described earlier. A little different in in less conceptual forms of meditation, definitely. But I mean, if we look at at the words uh, familiarization and habituation, right? Uh, familiarization that stems from the word family, right? and habituation, you know, uh, somebody's habitat is their home, right? And so this notion of meditation as a coming home to ourselves, coming home to the body, coming home to the heart, coming home to our deeper nature, or coming home to just the way things are maybe really shitty in the moment. But, you know, one, one of the things, japa, meditation, whatever it is, you know, having a daily spiritual practice it be, begins to be a home base that no matter what's going on in our lives, we can return to over and over again. There's always this constant in our lives of having this space for ourselves where we can come home. And my, my, I, I think I borrowed a line in that newsletter from my first teacher, Vinnie Ferraro, that says that, you know, meditation ought to be the kind of uh, uh, endeavor where, where, you know, how we can come in from a long day you know, out in the world and just flop down on the couch and kick off their mm, shoes and yeah. ah, finally, finally I can just be who I am and, and anything goes, you know, pants optional. <laughs> and meditation really can become that for us, you know, and, and, and with regards to what we experience in meditation, we can start to think of those distracting thoughts or uh, deep neurosis or whatever as members of our inner family. You know, and can we claim those parts of us? And can we show them a little love? And can, like you said, can we have tea with, with our afflictions so that we move in the direction of, you know, I, I lived for a long time with what felt like a very dysfunctional family inside of me. Everybody was yelling at each other all the time. You know, had to do some pretty intense things to get away from that. But can we move to in the direction of a harmonious family where these parts of us are actually getting along and talking to each other and, and maybe even helping each other out? Mm -hmm. I, I'll share with you one example of that that um, I've been working with more recently that's uh, to great, great benefit, which is, you know, I, I don't know about you, but the moment I sit down, like about three minutes into meditation, I get the best ideas, the best book ideas. The best. 
And though the best teaching ideas is like meditation teaching is actually my primary obstacle in meditation. <laughs> and so I'll literally just just ask that part of me that's coming in with all these ideas, you know what? That's a great idea. Would you mind holding on to that for me for about 20 minutes? <laughs> and you know, and I every time I feel a little shift and that part of me that's you know hankering to to get me to understand this phenomenal idea which usually actually doesn't turn out to be so great <laughs> after the meditation but yeah. that that part of me will will kind of hang on to that for me you know it's like giving a, a little kid a, a job when they're in the way as one is cooking your meals you know what could you uh take the trash out for us or do the dishes you know just asking you know the energy within you that's throwing up all this distraction could you just hang on to that for me for 20 minutes. We're, we're, we're doing something here. Mm. And that's what I mean by, by, by it becoming a harmonious family. It's like open lines of communication with all aspects of our being, all the non-selves that are <laughs> running around inside of us. Mm. That uh, there's another great phrase from you uh, that speaks to what you're talking about and is so, I mean, just the sound of it, people, oh, God, no. How about becoming the inner, the rather primary love giver, primary <laughs> love giver to the inner children that are mm. residing in this, uh, in this incarnation that you took? Uh, you know, it's just... It's such a difficult concept of being loving like that to what mm -hmm. we consider our demons. And we've been taught mm -hmm. to believe they are demons, you know. I, I see this uh, in, in myself uh, off and on. You know, I've seen this over these many decades. The only good thing about getting older, folks, is you stop giving a shit about what you think. <laughs> And they are not, you, you become unstuck. You will become unstuck. We, right. we do become unstuck, especially if you, you get in at least a something on a daily basis of some kind of practice. And, and I think, hey, here's a great idea. Sit down in front of your anywhere, altar in a corner, sit in your bed, I don't care where, and just think, okay, now I'm going to be a, a primary love giver to everything that comes up okay mm. i mean hopefully we're going to do a little bit of concentration exercise either using breath or whatever to at least get a little bit one pointed and then allow the sensation to come and then embrace them can we do that i mean even that sounds like you know, that's the love giver that sounds like foreign like you know and and even go all the way to go I can't do that. I don't want to do that. It's an, it's like, it's a nasty guy in there, a nasty gal in there. And I don't want to do, you know, just think of, of the way these kinds of thoughts come up about who we think we are and mm -hmm. that we are that, you know, and I think, um, primary love giver, sit down and become the primary love giver. I, I love that. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've got to give props here to uh, Richard Schwartz, 
actually, who wrote the beautiful book, You Are the One You've Been Waiting For. It's just the, the best book I've ever read. On. Really? I am not familiar at all. Um, let me, Richard Schwartz. Uh, by the way, everybody, you know, we've been talking a few different things here that are opportunities to catch up either with Ralph or Richard mm -hmm. Schwartz. What's mm -hmm. the book? Uh, you Are the One You've Been Waiting For. Okay. Yeah. When, how long ago is that? Uh I have no idea, honestly. Um, but you know, this is this is part of his way of working with uh, what comes up in intimate relationships, right? Because how I mean, I've been in so many relationships where I was looking for somebody to uh, fix it for me or to fill in the gaps uh, left from my childhood. You know, or to, you know, find the partner that's finally going to make it make sense or, or finally meet me where I am in some profound way. And it, it never works out. <laughs> it never works out. Because uh, we're actually using that person at that point. Or to get away from my loneliness. This is a big one, right? Loneliness and wanting to be in a relationship are two different things. Yeah. You know? And if you're in a relationship because you don't want to be alone and you don't want to be lonely or you're dating somebody because you... Because you're sick of being lonely, you're actually using that person. Yeah. And so, you know, how can you become the the one in charge of loving those wounded parts, right? Because all of our wounds come from what? Non-love, basically, right? If we were to really boil it down, times when our need for love was betrayed. And so, you know, uh, uh, Dan Siegel uh, talks about this a lot too. Very prominent. Yeah, uh, I know Dan. Yeah, wonderful man. Yeah, yeah. How how the research shows is that when we attune to ourselves, when we have that inner self empathy, and we uh, uh, you know kind of hear ourselves out, hold space for ourselves, like we so desire for other people to really do, um, the the research shows that the body uh, responds in almost the exact same way as if we're getting that energy from somebody else. If we can be our own best friend, our own uh, parent, our own primary source of, yeah, yeah understanding and love and space and compassion, uh, it's, 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 you know, I say this to, to folks all the time, you know, if you missed out on love in childhood, which all of us did in some way, because no parents are perfect and our needs are so great as children, but um, that ship hasn't sailed. The door isn't closed. You can still become that for yourself. Um, and that's, that's such a liberating and promising truth, actually. Mm, yeah. And the only way to have a real relationship with anybody, not just an intimate relation, uh, is, is to have that start. As we've been talking about earlier, have a real relationship with oneself where compassion and love mm -hmm. are self-evident and then we can begin to tackle some of the issues that uh, put many of us around the bend huh? and and i think we which, should say yeah go ahead oh i, I was just going to say which starts with being willing to sit down with yourself right how many of us want change in our lives, but, but we, we ditch the meditation cushion because we don't want to just hang out with us? How, yeah. how can any change happen if you're not willing to be with you? 
Yeah. So it, it really does, for me, it really begins and ends there with, right. with meditation. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, this has been fabulous, yeah. Ralph. And I was trying to say a little earlier that uh, when you people, everybody out there, of course, uh, we will have in the show notes link uh, links to Ralph's work. Uh, and we're going to put a link into, I want to get this rich. Is Richard Schwartz still alive or do you know that? <laughs> yeah. He is. Yeah, he is. He's, he's the progenitor of internal family systems. And uh, he's, he's got a new book coming out on Sounds True, too. Um, he's oh. really okay. starting to write about this parts work thing from a spiritual perspective. And wow. I will, um, if I may, I could drop a min rolling exclusive on you because I uh, this will be the first time I'm announcing it, but I have a new book coming out uh, in August uh, that's called Don't Tell Me to Relax. Emotional resilience for the age of rage, feels, and freakouts. Mm. And so, okay, a lot well, of what I'm talking about. Is well, we, in that work. Well, oh yeah. Okay. Well, you <laughs> you. Okay. Well, please get me a copy of that book, and then later, you know, in the summer, near when it's going to come out, we'll let everybody know about it and talk about it. Okay, Ralph. Well, and uh, and I'm going to go and find Richard. Sounds true, our friends. So. Uh, I'm sure that'll work out. That's great. So all of this will be linked up, uh, and uh, you'll yeah you'll let uh, let us know when the pre-sales are going to start because we're we're not that far away. Jesus, time is flying. We're getting to the middle of May. It's it, it's there. It's on Amazon. It's on uh, you can pre-order from Shambhala Publications. I think it's shambhala.com. Mm. Um, yeah. So okay. Well, we're going to get I'd love to have a. And to the yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, everybody who's involved making uh, mind rolling happen in the Be Here Now network happen, uh, they're going to find all of this and put links up in the show notes so everybody has all of this available. And uh, and I'm so glad to hear that the, the furthest out thing in this whole thing was that you had a hug with this guy that was threatening you. Well, the, the the relationship really softened. It was it was really yeah, really? it was really kind of magical. Yeah, he's he's a person just like me who struggles with some things, and I came to see that, mm. and I think he came to see my humanity too. And mm. It was it was actually kind of a beautiful ending to what had been a, a very difficult trajectory. Wow, that's fantastic! Uh, and by the way, that's a great meditation. That I don't know if you know who Mirabai Bush is. But uh, she's part of our uh, uh, our uh, Love Serve Remember Foundation, and mm -hmm. she does this beautiful meditation called "Just Like Me," where you sit like you and I could sit and just do eye contact, mm -hmm. and and just uh, relate the ways in which we uh, it's all you are just like me, I am just like you, and as His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, all we all want the same thing. We want to be happy. We want to have love, and we want to be kind, ultimately. And, uh, yeah. I think the Dalai Lama, he said his mother was completely loving and compassionate. He said, that's why I am like I am, he said before. You know, he As said, if the Dalai Lama is not a trauma survivor, too. I mean. Yeah, right. <laughs> if we're talking reality, right? He's living evidence that, that that transformation is possible. Yeah, that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. The greatest yeah. human being on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, wonderful to see you. I'm glad you're safe and sound back here in California, Ralph. And uh, uh, we, we'll talk uh, a little later in the summer again. And meanwhile, um, have a great, uh, a great day. <laughs> yeah. Everybody. Have a good one, too. Yeah. Such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right. This is Be Here Now Network, Mind Rolling. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and catch all of our friends and teachers and podcasters uh, that reside. See you next week. Mm -hmm.